Thank you. All right. Good morning. Today is October 23rd of 2022. We are reading from the Big Book, page 28, XXVIII, in the doctor's opinion, starting at the bottom paragraph where it says men and women drink to and including the paragraph on the next page, XXIX, paragraph on the other hand. Uh, we will have our reading first, then we will be followed by a 20-minute share from Kim G. And so uh, let's see here, I think we're ready. If our reader could go ahead and Annabelle's gonna take that two-paragraph reading. Go ahead, Annabelle. Good morning. My name is Annabelle. I'm a compulsive eater, anorexic, and bulimic, recovered in Washington. Men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, they cannot, after a time, differentiate the true from the false. To them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. They are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once by taking a few drinks, drinks which they see others taking with impunity. After they have succumbed to, to the desire again, as many do, and the phenomenon of craving develops, they pass through the well-known stages of a spree, emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. This is repeated over and over. And unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, there is very little hope of his recovery. Thank you for your service. Thank you, Annabelle. All right. And now we will have a 20 minute or approximately 20 minute share from Kim G. Kim, do you want me to time you at all? Well, the, the second paragraph wasn't read, I don't think. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go and ahead, I Annabelle. You have one more paragraph to read. Thank yeah. you. Will do. Sorry. On the other hand, and strange as this may seem to those who do not understand, once a psychic change has occurred, the very same person who seemed doomed who had so many problems he despaired of ever solving them, suddenly finds himself easily able to control his desire for alcohol. The only effort necessary being that that required to follow a few simple rules. Now, Thank you. now we'll turn it over to you, Kim. Uh, did you want any notice sometime? No, I got a, I got a timer here. Thanks, Maria. Okay. Thanks. Okay, just hit the timer. So good morning, everyone. My name is um, Kim G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey Intergroup. Um, I am so excited to uh, share about these paragraphs. We actually had a cancellation, um, last minute cancellation for our speaker today and was uh, excited that maybe I'd have the opportunity to speak about these incredibly juicy, delicious chapters. So um, just so you know a little bit about me, I, I'm, I've been in OA since 1994. Um, I've been abstinent and recovered since January 2011. And you can see there's a big gap there. And a lot of that, in all honesty, had to do with my misunderstanding of step one. Um, so my history is I've been a size 24 
Um, I've been a size two and I've also been the size I am now 10 binging and purging and over exercising. So I have experienced all avenues of this disease. And the reason I say that is because in my area, very popular to say in, in a meeting format was to say, you know, um, are there any other compulsive overeaters here besides myself? And I would raise my hand and I would say, me, me, me. And what I realized now is what I was saying yes to was I'm fat and I don't want to be fat anymore or I'm no longer fat and I'm terrified of getting fat again. And that is not step one. Step one is so beautifully and tragically de described in this chapter. So we read a little bit about the Dr. Silkworth. So I just wanna mention what this paragraph teaches me is that Dr. Silkworth was a neurologist in the 1930s and 40s. And it's estimated he worked with about 40,000 alcoholics. And he said there were different types of alcoholics. There was a certain type that would come into his hospital from the consequences of their, their drinking and he would dry them out and they would leave the hospital and he would never see them again. There was another type that would come in from the consequences of their drinking and he would dry them out and maybe they'd come back a second time or a third time and he'd sit them down and say, hey, looks to me like when you start drinking, you can't control yourself. So if you stop, don't ever start, you should be fine. And those people left and he never saw them again. I joke being a kid of the eighties, those are the ones that Nancy Reagan could have helped in the eighties with just say no. But he said there was a certain type, he estimated about 10% that no matter how many times he dried them out and no matter how many times he explained what happens if you drink again, they would continue to get drunk over and over and over. And that is who AA is for. This chapter describes what does it mean to be part of the 10%? Because if I'm not part of the 10%, I got a spoiler alert, diet programs work. You decrease your calories, you increase your exercise, you're going to lose weight. There are two thirds of Americans are obese. I don't believe two thirds of Americans are compulsive overeaters. I mean, our lifestyle now of sitting in front of Netflix and eating fast food three times a day, you're going to get fat but it doesn't mean you're compulsive over you're the type that needs a 12 step program. So a big part for me is I have to identify in, in am I part of this 10%? And what does that mean? So it means I have the allergy of the body and I have a mental twist. Sandy B is one of my favorite AA speakers and he says it beautifully. I am a compulsive overeater because I have a body that not, will not allow me to eat my binge food safely and a mind that always convinces me that I can. It's those two qualities that make me a real compulsive overeater, that 10%, what I, and that's what I personally call it. So this paragraph describes the interaction of those two. So let's dig into what the, what the paragraph is telling us. So it says here, men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. I have to tell you, I didn't come into OA to stop eating Oreos because I love Oreos. I love, they're good, they're, I like them. What I wanted you to treat, teach me is how do I have three Oreos and be satisfied? And what I didn't understand is I get an effect, but I look back at my own history. When I was, when I was sad, I wanted something cold and smooth. When I was angry, I wanted something crunchy. When I was, when I was um, hyperactive, I wanted carbs to calm me down. When I was exhausted, I wanted sugar to pep me up. I was medicating myself. I was getting an effect from that. If it really was, just that I like Oreos or I like certain foods. Why was I eating food when it was stale? Why was I eating food when it wasn't cooked? I mean, I, in my, in my twenties, after I came home from college, my mom's in OA, I want to binge. I can't really cook anything in the house because my mom's going to know I'm eating. 
One of the things I used to binge on is I used to buy muffin mix, keep it in my bedroom with a bowl and a spoon. I put some water in the bathroom and I would eat the muffin mix just like that with water in it. I, I was wanting that effect. It wasn't that great. You know, one of the things I used to do in high school is, is if I had to bring in cookies and I don't want to eat the cookies, I would make them with coconut because I hate, hate coconut. But you know what would happen is I would eat the coconut cookies, gagging them down because the other ingredients in the cookie was overriding how disgusting I felt those cookies were. I mean, the coconut was, you know, I remember, in, again, I was stressed out when I was a really you know, my problem is I'm, I'm, I'm uncomfortable in my own skin. And I remember in the middle of the night before I was going to college, like I would go into at two o'clock in the morning and I would eat cereal. And there was a couple years where the woods behind us were being made into condos and we had tons of mice in the house. And I pulled the cereal out and I'm eating the cereal at two o'clock in the morning. And I hear this rustling noise and a mouse crawls out of the cereal box across the kitchen table and runs off. I didn't stop eating the cereal. I could have been eating mice droppings. But the effect I needed to calm me down because I was so scared about going to school overrode the fact that that was disgusting. So I have to accept that, that I experience food differently. The sensation is so elusive that we admit it is injurious. We cannot after a time differentiate the truth from the false. So in AA, they say get sober and everyone knows what that means. So in OA, we do have to do some more investigation. We have 140 people on the line. We all have the same definition of abstinence. We have to abstain from those foods, those ingredients, and those behaviors that create that phenomenon of craving. Hopefully you listened to last week's um, podcast because Maria did a beautiful job describing that allergy. The way that it has really hit me is specifically to get down to ingredients. I feel that's a gift. I don't have to memorize a thousand foods. I just look at, I discover what ingredients are for me. But I look at what are the foods that I'm going to barter, I'm going to negotiate, I'm going to grieve if I can't have them again. When I ingest certain foods, I can't reasonably predict what's going to happen. That's the language like maybe I won't binge every time. Now, my delusion, I cannot differentiate the true from the false. What will happen is I don't binge in a restaurant because I'm hu too humiliated, but I go home and I binge and I don't connect the two. That idea that I can, you know, that's like a geographic allergy, which I think is hysterical, but I know I felt that way. You know, so what are those foods and the way it feels in my body, the way that I think the phenomenon of craving is, is that first bite, ask for the second bite, the second bite requires the third bite, and the third bite demands the fourth bite. That feeling intensifies and never satisfies. So it seems kind of elusive, but when we talk to recovered people, you know, I would encourage you to have discussions about this chapter with recovered people. We can discover what that is. Personally, one of my favorite foods is a tomato. But if you said, Kim, I'll pay $100,000 if you have one tomato every day, no more, no less, I can make that money pretty easily. I like a tomato, but I don't get an effect from it. I enjoy it. But if you said to me, Kim, I'll give you a million dollars if you have two slices of pizza, no more, no less for 30 days in a row, I would never make that. So what's different about a tomato and a pizza, which happens to have tomato sauce on it, for me personally, it's the ingredient of flour. When something is a flour product, my body gets a tingling, exciting, gotta have more feeling. I often use the example of, of Brad Pitt, who I absolutely love. I can't explain to you since puberty, blonde hair, blue eyes, 
that lanky body. Oh my gosh, I get butterflies. I can't explain it, but it, it's elusive, but I understand it. In fact, I was out with a friend. I'm in my mid fifties. I was out with a friend for lunch a couple of weeks ago and I went to go to the bathroom and I turned this corner and my body reacted to this gorgeous, gorgeous, like Brad Pitt looking person. Well, that Brad Pitt looking person was probably 16 or 17 years old. I was so embarrassed, but my body reacts to that type of look in a guy. Right. So I, it's not that I'm a bad person. It's just the way I react. Same thing. I'm not a bad person because I have these allergies, but I have to be realistic about it. So I have to look at what are those foods, those ingredients, and those behaviors. I cannot differentiate the truth from the false. You know, one of the things I think of with that is, is, you know, when I'm going to Costco actually after this, and when the big box stores started opening up, man, I'll tell you, I had this idea that I only can have one. And when the bag of Doritos got this big, that's one, you know, when I have spaghetti, it's one box, but it's enough for a family of 10. I cannot differentiate the truth from the false. I don't know what that means. You know, when I was a kid, I used to go to my grandmom's house and she'd offer me butterscotch. And how can I, you know, come on, how can I refuse my grandmom? She's giving me butterscotch. But I'll tell you, as a recover woman, I look back at that time now, you know, what my grandfather did the same time my grandmom was offering me butterscotch, he would offer me a cigar. And I had no problem saying, Grandpa, I don't want to smoke a cigar. But I would, in my mind, cannot separate the truth from the false, can't reviews the butterscotch because that's my grandma. But really, it's because I wanted the butterscotch. And that is all a bad problem to have that allergy. But the big problem is, why, when that food's not in me, do I, do I still want it? So that's the rest of the paragraph. It says, they are restless, irritable, and discontented unless... They can, they can experience the sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once by taking a few drinks, drinks which they see others taking with impunity. So restless, irritable, discontent is not talking about when I'm in the food. So this is my personal experience. Day one or two, I'm pretty good. Enough running through me as I'm getting abstinent. Day three to five, three to seven, three to 10, I'm dying inside. I cannot... I, I'm by, I, I need that food. That's the physical craving. That's the allergy that's triggered and I'm going through withdrawal. But then maybe 14 days later, 21 days later, and I'm quote unquote feeling good for me, the freedom from the allergy not being triggered. I'm sleeping better. I'm not as reactive. I can understand people when I'm in the food. It's like I'm in a peanuts cartoon where all the adults are like, wah, 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 wah. I can't understand anything. And then I'm thinking, whoa, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm going to my meetings. I'm doing my tools. Yippee. The God's removed the obsession. God hasn't done removed the obsession. I haven't done anything yet, right? I'm just trying to be abstinent. And I get my 30-day coin. Yay, everyone's clapping because I got 30 days. But then day 32, day 35, day 40, I'm vibrating. I'm craving that food. Now, what I realize now from this doctor's opinion, I'm not craving the food. What I'm, what I'm happening is the, the mental obsession. That, 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 that obsession is taking me over. It can't be the allergy because I haven't injected it. So my real problem is I can't get, I can't get contently abstinent unless I do the steps. I've had 11 and a half years of contented abstinence because of doing these steps. So let's look at how this cycle comes together. It says after they have succumbed to the desire again, so I'm stone cold sober, Nothing's running through me. And I call it like, like straw vision. Um, everything's going okay. And all of a sudden I get restless, cerebral discontent. Boom, I'm looking through a straw. 
the food, the food, the food, the food. It becomes a preoccupation, a desire, a persistent, disturbing preoccupation. I love that definition of obsession. And what happens is I succumb, definition succumb, yield to a superior force. I have no choice but to pick up the food because I'm so uncomfortable with life. Life gets loud when I'm abstinent. I don't know how to cope with life without that buffer of food. Now, my opinion is sometimes is I think we use that word slip and it's really damaging because it's not a slip. I've never had a brownie fall in my mouth accidentally. I've always gotten restless, irritable discontent and I'm so uncomfortable. I succumb to that desire again, as so many do. And the phenomenon of craving develops again. I don't get the phenomenon of craving until I ingest the food. I pass through the well-known stages of a spree. Do you know that feeling? I mean, I know, cannot differentiate the truth from the false again. I pick my babysitting jobs by the pantry, not by the kids. I could care less how bad the kids work. Just give me a good pantry, right? And I get the kids to bed on time, not because I'm a good babysitter, but I want to be alone with their pantry. And I sit down and watch, you know, Growing Pains or whatever 80s sitcom is on. And I have, a, I'm only going to have these three Oreos and I have those three Oreos and I only make it to the first commercial because there's no streaming at that point in the eighties. Right. And I go back and I get some more Oreos and I don't even make it to the next commercial. I get more Oreos and I get more Oreos because that phenomenon of craving develops and that turns into like me shoving the food in so fast. I don't even taste the food at this point. So what happens? I emerge remorseful with the firm resolution not to eat again. I can't believe I did it. Oh my God, I'm hiding the, the, the wrappers. I'm not going to put it in their trash. I'm going to put it in my knapsack so I can take it home and throw it away because I'm so embarrassed. I swear to God, this time's going to be different Monday morning. I'm going to go to this workshop. I'm going to get this spot. I'm never gonna, ever going to do it again. And so this is repeated over and over and over and over. Unless a person can experience an entire psychic change, there is very little hope of his recovery. So I beg of you, do not think abstinence is enough. Do not settle. I had six years of back-to-back abstinence doing the tools only and reading the steps in the meetings, but never doing the steps in my life. And it was so incredibly painful. You asked me how long I was absent. I could tell you down to the minute. And the only way I stayed absent was tomorrow I'm going to have a bagel, but not today. Tomorrow I'm going to have a bagel, not today. It was so damn painful. I can only do that for so long, but when I did the steps, when I treated the mental twist with the steps, what I've had today is 11 and a half years, again, of contented abstinence. So that's what happens with that next paragraph, right? It says, on the other hand, as strange as this may seem to those who do not understand, who doesn't understand? We talk about frothy uh, emotional appeal last time too. The 90%, if I'm part of the 10%, the 90% don't understand. The people who are telling me to put a picture of a, a, my favorite movie star in my refrigerator and then I won't, that I won't go in there. You know, the people that are telling me, Kim, if you want to go to the prom, you'll, you'll lose a little bit of weight and someone will ask you to the prom. The doctor who's saying, my God, you're 23. I'm diagnosing you morbidly obese. I'm going to put you on high blood pressure, blood pressure medication. What the hell are you doing? Stop. Those are the people who don't understand. They love me. See, they're looking at me and seeing what the food is doing to me. And they're wondering why I'm doing it. 
But being part of the 10 to 10%, I'm looking at the 90% saying, I know what the food is doing for me. Why the hell aren't you doing it? Which is why I have to know who I am and I have to know my problem and then my solution. It says, once a psychic change has occurred, the very same person who seemed doomed, who had so many problems, he despaired ever resolving them, suddenly finds himself easily able to control his desire for alcohol. So this is telling me the desire is the mental twist. The 12 steps and having a relationship with power does not give me the ability to eat my binge foods. It doesn't give, I don't get holy enough that I can have a place of pizza and be satisfied. No, what the 12 steps do is it gives me a spiritual awakening and my desire for alcohol is gone. I don't want my binge foods. That's the miracle that I experienced today. Not that I'm strong enough to resist, but I don't want my binge foods. The only effort necessary being that it required to follow a few simple rules. Those few simple rules are the steps. As long as I stay actively engaged with 10, 11, and 12, which is doing steps one through t- one through 12, basically on a daily basis, I can maintain that. So just to give you a couple examples of what that's like for me today, we're coming up on Halloween. At the end of September, the Halloween candy came out. I wasn't paying attention. I'm like, oh crap, Halloween. And I bought the candy. And then I came home, I'm like, I didn't need to buy this. Now it's a month away. That candy's been sitting in my house for a month without any kind of temptation. Prior to doing the steps, I would buy my Halloween candy six weeks out, replace it at five weeks, replace it at four weeks, replace it at three weeks, replace it at two weeks. And even on the night of Halloween, I would sit there and go, oh, I hope no kids show up so I can still have this candy. I've had candy in my house for a month, don't care. I was talking before the meeting. I switched over my winter clothes yesterday from summer to winter. Most of my life, it's been the most painful day because I'm going to have to figure out what the hell I don't fit in. I'm going to torture myself about how much I've gained weight this this time. But this past week, I, I, I was laughing because I gave a bunch of clothes away because why I work from home, I don't need those work clothes anymore. And I am 55 years old and I have clothes that I wore 10, 15 years ago that aren't appropriate for a 55 year old. Like I had to give away that, you know, that I'm, I'm postmenopausal. There's a lot of, I can't wear heavy sweaters anymore. My body with hot flashes doesn't tolerate it. So I'm laughing last night as I'm giving away these clothes. And I also had some cute boots that I have a bad ankle. I can't stand in those shoes. I got to give them away. And I was laughing because, wow, this is, I'm giving away clothes because they're not appropriate because I don't like them, because I don't like the way they feel. My skin gets, after menopause too, my, feet, my, I have to, my skin gets really scratchy with certain clothes, not because I'm humiliated, because I don't do that again. And the last thing is I now live next door to my parents in their eighties. I take care of them. My father who runs marathon is now using a walker inside and a wheelchair outside. My mother has dementia and I do all their food shopping and I do a lot of their food prep and I do it in service and neutrality that would not have been possible if I didn't do these steps. So I think, I hope what I can do today is I hope you will be disturbed enough to call some people, have some conversations with recovered people, discover what your allergic foods are, put them down and understand that you will eat over and over and over again if you don't, after you put the food down, immediately get into step work. And with that, thank you very much. Wow. Thank you, Kim. Unbelievable.